Now, just a quick revision even before we get into the Word, before we even get into our first prayer, I just wanted to remind you about what we talked about last week. There were three things that sheep, a sheep, meh, sheep, cannot do on his own or on her own. And do you know what those are? I grew up in New Zealand near the farm, and I watched it every day. My friend Matthew is a farmer, and New Zealand, they have more sheep than people. So I have the privilege of observing sheep every day. And there are three things they cannot do. Number one, they cannot provide for themselves. This is a very interesting fact. And some of you are farmers, and you know what I'm talking about. Sheep cannot provide for himself. He does not know where to go to eat, where to find the nice grass, where, where to find that nice, young, just coming out, that tasty grass. He does not know where to find, nor the water. There is a second thing that the sheep cannot do. Sheep cannot protect itself. Uh, it's, it's a very strange thing because sheep, if you look at the size, they, ain't, they are not small. They're pretty big. And yet, they have no way of defending themselves. When the wolves attack or animals attack, did you know they will be so scared to death, they will know nothing else but to kind of go in circles together. That's all they know. But thirdly, they cannot purpose for themselves. They do not know where to go, why they should go, to which direction, for why. But all these three things, the provision, protection, and purpose for a sheep is perfectly resolved by one perfect thing. What's that? Amen. A good shepherd. And let me remind you once again, the Lord our God is a good shepherd. Not even ah, He's the good shepherd. The one and only who loves us so much that while we were still sinners, He died for us. He cared for us so much that He was willing to send this one and only Son for you. And when He sees you, He's not seeing you only. He's seeing the blood of the Lamb covering the dorsal of your life covering your heart, covering your hands, covering your feet in every part of your life because He has died the sin that we cannot die. And the Son has bled His precious blood so that we will be reckoned righteous for His righteousness sake. It is not of our works. It's not of our deeds. It's not about how well good looking we are or doing we are good actions. No, nothing can actually take us to God. And yet, when there was no way, God sent His only Son to prepare the way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Whoever comes to me, he will be protected, he will be provided, and he will be led according to my good purpose because I am a good shepherd. And a good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. Man, have you been walking, following God? Have you been sharing your week 24 hours a day 60 minutes an hour 60 seconds a minute every second of the day have you been following God so that when your shepherds say yoo-hoo your ears go meh and here I am I pray that that will be the norm of your life so that every second of the day you will be under His provision, protection, and purpose. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much today that you have blessed us with a brand new life. And this morning, we thank you for the hunger we thank you for our physical hunger because now, because of that, we can look up onto you and seek your provision. God, we also thank you for our emotional hunger 
Because because of that, we will look on to you and seek your embrace. And Father, as we get up this morning, we thank you for our vulnerability and weakness because that is the very reason we can look up onto you and ask for your protection. And Father, thank you so much that we in ourselves and by ourselves cannot find the purpose of our own lives even because that gives us the very reason to come to you today and to tune our antenna to you and tune our hearts to you and tune our eyes to you and set our goal and purpose in life of knowing you, loving you, and following you. And Father, for this purpose, we choose to surrender all. Anything that we are clenching on to, holding on to, anything that is, Father, bearing weight on us, we choose to lay it before you because you have told us, come ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lord, today we want to live a day of frontier a frontier of walking with you, new grounds that we have not walked before. We want to walk the new frontier of, Father, stepping out this step of faith. Father, today we want to experience new you as we follow you, as we worship you, and as we obey. So, Lord, speak into our lives. Breathe your Spirit into us. And let us be filled with your joy, peace, and power that surpasses all things and far exceeds anything else that this world can provide. Lord, be with us and be everything of us. It's no longer I who live, but Christ living in me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, it is very interesting that when you, uh, I think nearly every gentleman might have seen uh, the delivery room. Who, who was in the delivery room? Could you put your hand up? Oh, look at these precious fathers. Can we just give a big clap to our fathers? Uh, because I was there three times. And every time it amazes me, actually shocks me, <laughs> it frightens me. Uh, I still remember the first time when I went in as a new daddy, and I, do, I have no single idea what to do. So you could kind of imagine the nervousness of all this, this. And here I am on a standby. My, lab, my wife gone to labor for about nine hours now. She's, she's really gone for a long time. And the pain picking, you know. And she goes, you know. And you make sure you don't go near her, okay. You stand by. Make sure she can see you. But you don't go at the hand's reach, okay. It's dangerous there. And, and so I'm saying, oh, honey, hold on. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And after 12, 13 hours of long labor, my, I remember the nurse saying, push, push, and push. And she gave that final push. And my first child, she was, I guess, urgent to come out then because it wasn't just the head and the shoulder and all that. No, it was like... <laughs> <laughs> and my wife just... Uh, the, 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 the doctor just catched her like a, like a football. It's like, oh. <laughs> and I'm thinking, was it supposed to be like that? <laughs> and and it, was, it was just starting to see, you know, all covered in blood and, you know, everything with that coming. And, and, I'm, and I'm looking at the doctor so holding the baby and, and trying to get the things out of her mouth and making her breathe. And, and when, when she gets that first breath, she goes, yeah. Did I do that right? <laughs> and her, her fist is like tightly crunched like this, and like this. And, and the new life began. It was the same for my boy. 
It was the same for my girl. Didn't come out like this. But, yeah, uh, but that clenching first cry. But isn't it interesting that when we begin life, we begin our life with hands clenched tight. Do you know how hard it is to open baby's fingers when it's clenched? Do you know how strong those hands are? It's amazing. I can see you nodding, right? Yeah, you felt it. Yeah. And it's like, wow, look at that hold. How, how can a newborn baby be so strong? And, and, and the, and the clinch just continues on every time the baby cries, every time the baby's hungry, every time baby's cold, every time baby is scared, and every time the baby does not hear the, the peaceful voice of his or her mom. And every time, even in sleep, when the warmth of the parent's love and care is not felt, the baby will suddenly wake up and go like this. The only problem is our life is not a perfect world. And some of those babies will not be born under a parental care. Some of those babies will not be suitably provided. Some of those babies will be born in a house. Nowadays, with a lot of young people uh, getting pregnant out of marriage, not only in the United States, but all over Asia, all over Africa, you will hear news of baby being born in a restroom, being born in a gutter, being stuck in a sewage. Can you imagine that? You see, we live in a world where many, many, many never gain a chance to let go. They never gain a chance to really let go because they are filled. They never get a chance to let go because they are satisfied. They are never getting the chance to let go because they are loved, cherished, and joyful. I want you to think about what God will be thinking and feeling right this moment. As he looks around the world. I just want you to think about that. Because as we just get in, dive into the scripture, I want you to just think about both things. We are sitting here as the family of God. We are saved. And God's hands of provision, protection, and purpose is covering us with his love. And you can seek Him and find Him every moment of your life. And if you choose to, you will experience the tender voice and the touch and the breath of God every single day. But I just want you to think as I convey this word to you that God has said in my heart since Sunday afternoon last week for you. I've been meditating all week just thinking of you and thinking of what God wants to tell you. I just want you to think deeply, not just inwards, but I want you to also think outward and realize that while we are talking about the issues in our family, the Christ, the family of Christ, the body of Christ, there are much worse cases out there who need our loving hands and touch that will serve as the loving hands and touch of Jesus Christ for them. Please, please, as, we, as you just listen to this message, do not just take it into your own life, but let it be poured out onto your friends, poured out onto your neighbor, poured out to your schoolmates, poured out to everyone you know. Because this is what God is speaking to us. And this is what God desires. So today, if you have your Bible, let's start reading the Bible and say what God is really saying to us. And I want to begin by 1 John. We're going to be reading a few scriptures today. 1 John, verse 15, chapter 2, verse 15. 
First John chapter 2, verse 15, I'm reading from ESV. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So by this time, I think you found the scripture, so let's read with me together. Verse 16 only. One, two, three, go. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The reason I start with this scripture is because just imagine a child, if the child is clinching onto something, he or she cannot hold on, clinch on to anything else. If you are clinching onto your own means of provision, God cannot provide for you. If you are clinching onto your own means of protection, let me assure you, there is actually no way for you, for God to protect you because you're not clinching onto the real protection. Who? God. God is my fortress. God is my victor. God is my king. God is my valor. God is my armor. And yet if I let go of God and clinch onto other means, other insurance, other benefits, other packages, other things, if you clinch onto anyone else or anything else but God, let me assure you, there is no other grip you can make to hold on to the real protection who is God. And if you try, as this generation does, to somehow find the meaning in life in man himself, let me assure you, your clinching of your positive idea of what human beings are will actually fail you miserably because you will find there is nothing good in you. There is nothing purposeful in you other than the very selfish desire that is inward that is all me centered the history has proven that over and over again so what is the solution as John writes and as God speaks to us do not clinch to the world and there are three things that we clinch the desire of the flesh and the desire of the eyes and the desire or the pride of life. And I want you to really carefully think about this because are you today being captive, being enslaved by these three things? The desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, or the pride of life? Because if it is, if you're clenching into it, you cannot clench Unto God, who will truly, truly satisfy you. And the Bible says, if you clinch onto these three things, you will die and fade away with the world. If you clinch onto new cars, your life will fade away with their new car. If you clinch onto new house, you will, your life will clinch, just fade away with that demolishing house. Have you seen those houses where no one takes care of and it's slowly kind of going, not straight, but go like this? Yeah? Well, that is the very way of life, isn't it? Everything we make with our own hands and everything we hold in our hands, they decay and demolish. It cannot fully satisfy us. And the Bible says, don't do that. I have bought you with eternal life. There is a different life I want you to live. Turn with me to scriptures in Matthew. Matthew. Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to read into that scripture. And as you find it, let me just read it for you. Please listen carefully. Matthew 4 is important because as a believer... You only have two choices in life. Either to be enslaved to the desire of this world or to be enslaved by the desire of the cross. 
Let me say that again. There's only two choices in life. There is no gray zone. I live today enslaved by the desire of the flesh, or I live enslaved to the desire of the cross. But by our own strength, we do not have the power to overcome the desire of our flesh and to go to the desire of the cross. But Jesus Christ shows us exactly what to do. And this is what Jesus has already done for us. Our job is to look into that and to hold on to it, to believe it, and to follow it. Let me read it for you. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness, wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, I fasted breakfast and I'm already dying. And 40 days and 40 nights, what is he doing? He's dying to the world. And some of you might need to start right there. If you are enjoying sports more than God, you better start dying to it. I have a gentleman, a close friend of mine, who used to play tennis, golf every single day. He's amateur pro too in his tennis and golf. He's excellent. But because he loved sports so much, but God wanted to sit him down a bit, do you know what happened? His hips gave away. And he, and he couldn't exercise as much as he did before. And we sat down and I said, you know, you went through a lot of pain, my friend. What do you think is happening? And the confession of my friend is, it is obvious that sports became the idol of my life. And now, every day when we sit down, we talk about what is God wanting us to do? Some of you, might need to let go of their petty, petty little things. Some of you might need to go, let go of this little tinkling emotions that kind of keep on popping up and dissuading you, moving you left and right, and constantly draw you or drift you away from God. Check your heart now. Because those are the very things that we need to fast away, take it away in order for us to focus on God. And he was hungry. He was a real human being. He was hungry. And the tempter, Satan, came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Satan already knew that Jesus was the Son of God. Right in chapter 4. So Satan goes, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, let me tell you, you are the Son of God. Just in case, fathers, you do not realize, you are victors. You have conquered. You have already put up on a new stand. God has already lifted you up, cleaned you up, and made you brand new. Look, you have become new, he said. If you are saved in Jesus Christ, it's not because of who you are, not because of what you have done, not because of what, how healthy you are, not because of what kind of features you got and how tall you are. You, by the work of Jesus Christ, are already sons and daughters of God. If you are the son, this is the lie that Satan always makes. He will trick your identity. He will trick your identity. If you don't watch out, the first thing that Satan will always make you doubt is your true identity. If you have received Jesus Christ into your heart, confessed Him Lord with your mouth, and believe that He is your Lord and Savior, let me tell you, you are saved. And forever you are the child of God. A child that is born cannot be unborn. A child born by the Spirit of eternal God cannot somehow die from it. If you are born through the Spirit of Christ, you are alive. <laughs> if you don't feel that, you might need to shout out, God, I'm alive. 
Feel it in your heart because the Spirit of God is live and kicking in you. He is in you. Do not let Satan destroy you like this if you are the Son of God. Remember, Jesus came to fulfill everything that we failed to fulfill. He is the new Adam. Everything that the old Adam failed, this new Adam have accomplished. And the first thing is the identity I am the Son of God made in the visage, image, imago day of God. Are you celebrating that? When you look into your mirror in the morning, are you proud? Oh, you are handsome, dude. <laughs> okay, that's what I do. <laughs> are you truly satisfied? Oh, yes, I am. <laughs> are you truly satisfied? That's how you ought to start today. If there's anything else but the confidence in the image of God in you, then let it go. Because it is the lie. And the first lie is this. Make these stones become loads of bread. What is he doing? He's touching two things. One, he's touching the physical side, the hunger. But secondly, he's touching the spiritual side. If Jesus turns the bread, in, the stone into bread, whose command or wish is he following? Satan. Now, the reason I really comment on this is because many Christians live a false lie of trying to prove one's own identity that does not need proving. You do not need to live a spiritual life where you constantly need to prove yourself. There are many other sects of Christianity that does that. But evangelical Christianity, if you really believe in the Bible that this is the inerrant Word of God, the Word of God says, everything I need to prove, I have proven not by my works, but by my faith in the Son of God who loved me and have accomplished everything for me. Is that where your reliance is? Because if that is, you will no longer try to live a life of meeting up to a standard. How long I prayed. How many rosemaries I did. Not rosemary. Oh, Hail Marys. Okay, sorry. I was cooking yesterday. Put some rosemary in there. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not undermining anything. Um, you see, if you are constantly suffering from this idea that I have to be somehow good Christian. Okay, I don't know what that definition is. Good Christian. Okay, but only God is good. Don't try to be good, please. That's a life of enslavement. You are already the apple of your father's eyes. When he looks at you, there is no other condition but you are my boy. You're my girl. Oh, come here. That's how you should feel. That I can run to God any second of the day, any point of the day. I can run to God. And no matter what I did with dirt and sin in my whole life, it doesn't matter. I can still run to God and feel His embrace. And sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And that is why Jesus on the cross with two robbers on His side told one of them, Today you will be in where? Heaven with me. That is to show that even if you believe and run to me at the very last breath of your life, I will save you. Not because of what you've done, but because of my son. That's the condition. Are you free? Are you free? Am I shouting again? Yes, I am, aren't I? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Verse 6, if you got it there. It will be there once or twice again. So you might like to have your fingers there. Deuteronomy, or let's go to 8 first. Deuteronomy 8. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 8, it says this. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do. 
that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you. The key word there is remember. These 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what's in your heart, whether you keep his commandment or not. And he humbled you, humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The reason I turn there is because many times we read the New Testament and forget what's in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus said these very words, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every mouth that comes from the word, from his mouth, the word of God. That's our real food because while our body is decaying and dying, our spirit has been born again. We are eternal and our spirit is only fed by one thing, the love of God, God himself, God the word. The Word of God is our food. The, God, the Word of God is the real living bread. And Jesus says, I am the living bread. So the real verb here is, number one, remember. Remember my provision for you. Remember my protection for you. Remember what I told you when I gave you that vision. Many of you are living, forgetting the vision that God gave you five years ago, ten years ago. Why did you forget? God already spoke to many of you, I am sure, because God promises that to young people, I will show vision. To old people, I will show dreams. I will give you vision. God provides where have you left it? You need to go run back right to it. Remember, remember God's provision. That's where you overcome your hunger for physical things. This is where you become free from physical enslavement. This is where you become free from trying to meet up to wrong people's standards. The only expectation you are asked to meet is the expectation of God. And expectation of God, it says, remember me. Remember what I told you. Reside in me means remember me. Let the word be in you and you be in the word. I pray that you are walking in the word. Let's continue. Ver uh, you don't have to flip back. I'm going to read for you. Please listen carefully. Matthew chapter 4, verse 5. This is a second temptation. It says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. Cunning, isn't it? Very cunning. Because Jesus refuted Satan on the first temptation with the Word of God, Satan uses the Word of God to do a second attack. And let me tell you, this will also happen to you if you do not reside fully in the Word. Please just don't memorize one verse. Read the whole chapter. Understand the context. Remember what God is saying to you day and night. In fact, God says, be in my word in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, in your sleep, in your dorsal, in your heart, as your emblem. Wherever you are, whatever you see on your phone, on your laptop, on the plate number, whatever you see every day, you should have the full word of God in there. But this is actually the word from Psalms 91. A powerful psalm. A powerful psalm that says, hold fast to me in love. The whole summary of, if you could kind of summarize Psalm chapter 91, is, hey, my children, hold on to me, clench on me, fast with your love. With all your heart, trust me, clench on to me. And Satan picks out that very verse and says, on their hands, they will bear you up. 
Let's just strike your foot against a stone. Oh, don't worry. Oh, don't worry. If since you trust God, just jump off the cliff. It's okay. Since you trust God, just do it. Nike, just do it. Okay? Uh, just do it. Come on. Whatever you feel like, do it. Come on. Come on. You can. What do you worry about? Oh, buy this now and we, you will have it for free. Come on. Just click that button. Click that button. The TV tells you every single day. On the internet side, it says, click once and you will need more. Click twice and you'll be a millionaire. Click three times and you'll be this. Why? What is it doing? It is luring you, luring you. But remember, how do you set up a dangerous net to catch a bird? What do you put in the very center of that net? The food that the bird likes the most. If you are Christians and you are not walking with the Word, not just identity, I'm a Christian, I'm saved. No, no. If you're not walking with the Word, this is how the temptation often comes. Hey, hey the Word of God said, you'll be fine. Don't worry. But listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said to him, okay, turn to me, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Just the chapter before. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it says this. Uh, in verse 16. Let's read from verse 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massah. Where's Massah? I don't know. So, Let's go to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. And it is, it is where the people of God just came out of the Red Sea and experienced the powerful, wonderful salvation of God. And they were happy. Yeah, the emperor's soldiers are dead and we are free. Am I shouting again? Okay, let me know, okay? Okay? But when he was running, they were going, going, going into the desert. Oh, we are good, we are good. And suddenly, they are thirsty. And they began to quarrel. They began to be rebellious. They began to argue, give us some water. Give me some water. And, it, and the face looks like this. And the people, you see... This is a sign that they, number one, did not trust God nor love God. Because if you love God, you will approach Him with an open hand and say, Dada, Daddy, I need this. If your boy loves you, normally he will do this. He will sit by you. Dad. Wow. Dad. Um, I know you're tired and all, but uh, uh, could we uh, could we go to uh, Walmart for a second? Walmart? Why Walmart? Oh, you know, you know, I, you know, you like walking around Walmart, you know, in a hot day, it's air conditioned, it's fine. You know? Why don't we check out Walmart? Why do I want to go to Walmart, huh, uh, boy? And, and uh, my name is Anna. Why do you want to go? Actually, he actually does this already. Age five. And, and I said, why do you want to go to Walmart? He said, well, well, because we can look around and go to the toy section and uh, uh, we can buy da-da-da. <laughs> He's using his head. <laughs> uh, I, mean, but, I mean, you could see how cunning that is, right? But still, who did he come to? He came to daddy, the right person. Do you want him to do that to someone else? I'd rather have him do that to me. And let me tell you, this is what the Lord Father is saying. When you need something, trust me, clinch unto me, come to me. Remember what I've done for you. Remember my salvation for you. Remember my victory for you. This is why you might start, you should start writing a diary if you haven't. 
Start writing down what God has done for you today, every single day, because when you are in heaven, memory is the biggest precious gift and treasure you will take up to heaven because forever long you will sit with God and praise God in your remembrance of all that God has done for you. This is the real treasure. And what God was saying is, I am so sad. Let me try without the mind. I'm so sad because my child, even though he or she has seen my salvation, will still not come to me. Who do you run to? Who do you run to? That is the person you trust the most. And God is asking you, will you come with your hands open wide and come to me? Let me go back to Matthew chapter 4. And there is one last temptation the tempter gives. Again, the devil took him, this is verse 8, to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Oh dear. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written. Shall we read it together? Deuteronomy chapter 6 again, verse 13. Verse 13. It says, It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve. And I'm going to continue, but the first thing is, who do you fear? Do you fear the weather? Do you fear the robber coming in? Do you fear sickness and disease like Zika virus? Do you fear politics? Do you fear economy collapsing? Do you fear that someone will let you down? Do you fear that there will be no one beside you when you fall? Do you fear that I might not be with the right person? Or I'm not going to meet the right person? Whatever your fear is, as the children of God, let me tell you, it is a lie. It is a lie. You do not fear for anything because the one who you should truly fear is with you all the time. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Living strong and mighty in this world begins by fearing the Lord. Him you shall serve and by His name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and He destroy you from off the face of the earth. And many people mistaken what this says. When God says, I'm a jealous God, therefore I might smite you. No, that's not it. You are only jealous for the person that you care. The fact that you are jealous means you care, isn't it? Ladies, don't you just love it when your husband is jealous? Well, I guess not. Okay, well, you know, I, I am. When, when my wife is, you know, it just comes to me and says, oh, honey, that person's husband is so great, and da-da-da, and da-da-da, and as the list goes up, my mind is turning off. It's like, okay, uh, yeah. And if I see any emotional sincerity there, I'm going to be a little angry, aren't I? Am I the only one? Fathers, aren't you jealous? I am. Let me guarantee you, the fact that God is jealous of you means that God loves you. The fact that he, is, it is, he will be so angry as to clean out this world if you don't really respond to His love, that really shows how deep He loves you. Jealousy in love shows the very depth of love. Not a human jealousy, 
but a jealousy where he's willing to regain your trust and love by laying his life down. That's real love. In in uh, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus had enough because he just overcame the temptation of possession. He He just overcame all temptation of passion, the passion to do something, the passion to be the one, the passion to lift myself up. He also overcame the pride of life by surrendering his authority to God. He says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. This is the conclusion. Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who is God, God, the Son of God, who came down from his throne, did not consider himself equal with God, but instead he humbled himself and gave us the very solution to overcome the chronic illness in us to be like God. Because in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, we see that Eve was tempted by the very voice, if you eat this fruit, you will be like God. But in fact, the very Spirit of God was breathing in Adam and Eve. They were already of God. They did not need to achieve something. They did not need to be better. Instead, it was their passion and the pride that took over. And when they looked, the desire of the flesh. When they looked at the fruit, it looked good in their own eyes. And when they saw and grabbed it and tasted, it was good. Why? Because that is the passion, the passion and the pride to be God when we are not God. And Jesus is completing the very thing that we needed to complete. What, what, what is that? He overcame He overcame all forms of temptation and said, I am only a servant of God. I am only a son of man. I am from the Father and I do not do what I want to do. I do what the Father has called me to do. Is this the mode of life you're living today? Or are you still living under your desire for the possession and the passion and the pride of life? What is the driving force? Is it the love of God that you are wishing and desiring? Or is it the very desire of your flesh pulling you while you have this desire and knowledge to do the will of God? But my body, Paul says, constantly wants to do sin. And I know that it is the sin that is a problem because even though the Spirit is in me, I am still sinning. I am still sinning. Oh, wretched man I am. Who will save me from this condemnation? Blessed be the Lord. Who through his Son, have transferred me from the realm of darkness to the new realm of light, the kingdom of God, and have poured the Spirit of God in me so that today, from today and every day, I might seek the will of God, so that I might cry out for the will of God, so that I might be satisfied by the will of God, that I may love God. Let's turn to Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. And today, I want to leave you with the scripture because this is going to be something that God is going to constantly use to speak to you. It says, verse 19, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. God did not give us the law to simply bog us down. Instead, He knew the very problem in us is the sin, and he needed to identify that as the real problem, just like the doctors do. And that's what he did. 
I have been crucified with Christ. My body, my flesh has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I will now live, the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, this is the very message for you. Are you totally surrendered to God? Are you surrendered to God in your desire for possession? Are you surrendered to God in your desire for passion? Are you surrendered to God in your desire for pride, to lift yourself up? And let me tell you, the only cure is, number one, to remember God. Remember His provision and give thanks always. Number two, remember His works. Remember His salvation. Remember the great things He has done for you. And never forget and realize, I owe my life to God. We should live as a debtor, not a creditor. God does not owe us anything. We owe Him our lives. And finally, and very important, are you clenching on to your purpose today? Surrender your life by remembering that He is the Lord. He is our King. He is our Father. Men, on this Father's Day, I'm humbled to know that if I'm not surrendered to the authority of God as my father, who am I to ask my children and my wife to subdue them under the authority of God, the very authority that God has laid down? It begins from us. It begins from our surrender. Don't be like a baby, clenched. But say, I surrender all.